welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Uh, today, uh, we have a great guest in uh, Coach Colin Johnson. Uh, he is the run game coordinator and offensive line coach at Ball State University. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I can't complain. It's a it's a nice Friday here in early July as, as I get ready for camps next week. And I know you, you guys are kind of in your dead period. So, um, but I mean, before we get started with kind of what we're going to talk today, uh, do you want to kind of give your uh, kind of background and how you ended up really back at Ball State since, I mean, you spent some time playing there, um, how you ended up back there and kind of your coaching path from there? Sure. You know, kind of take you way back. I grew up in the state of Illinois and uh, was recruited to Ball State uh, by Bill Lynch, who was my head coach here. Uh, I played uh, all five years for Coach Lynch and uh, was a three-year starter at center. Uh, I always wanted to get into coaching. I uh, started off wanting to be a high school football coach. Uh, and as I got to college and kind of saw how all that worked and how tight-knit the staff was, uh, I really shifted my focus to college. Uh, when I graduated, I played one year of arena football in the AF2, uh, and then I kind of settled into Indianapolis, uh, not really having any direction in terms of where I wanted to go. And uh, just so happens, uh, Coach Lynch was on staff at Indiana University coaching for Terry Hepner. And, uh, you know, as everybody knows, Coach Hep. Uh, unfortunately passed away in the summer of 2007. And Coach Lynch was the interim head coach in Indiana. They had a great season, uh, went to a bowl game, and uh, he was permanently kept on as a head coach. Well, around that time, I got into coaching at the high school level. And uh, I was looking for opportunities, certainly to get into college, but I was pretty content, uh, you know, getting hired at uh, one of the premier high schools here in the state of Indiana and just so happened that year, Coach Lynch called me up and said, hey, we have a uh, quality control position here in Indiana. Uh, it's yours if you're interested. And it was working with special teams. Uh, I was reunited with Dennis Springer, who was also a coach here at Ball State. He was a special teams coordinator there at Indiana. So it, it all kind of worked out in that sense. Uh, so I went there the first year. I was a special teams quality control coach my second year. I switched over to be an offensive line GA, and I did that for two seasons. Uh, unfortunately, our time came to an end at Indiana after the 2010 season. Uh, I went on to Butler University to coach the defensive line for one season. Uh, from there, I went to the College of Worcester in 2012 and coached the offensive line again for one season. And then, you know, lucky enough, again, going into the 2013 uh, year, Coach Lynch was hired uh, as the head coach at DePaul University. Uh, D3 school here in the state of Indiana. Uh, so he needed an offensive line coach, uh, hired me on. I spent five years with him again as the offensive line coach at DePaul. Uh, learned a lot, working hand in hand with him. And then and, uh, again, uh, 2018, I got hired as the offensive line coach this time around at Butler University. So I went back for a second step. And uh, after one season there, I got called by Coach Lynch's son, who uh, was the offensive coordinator here at Ball State, Joey Lynch, uh, seeing if I was interested in interviewing for the offensive line position, and here I am. Uh, so kind of a whirlwind uh, way for me to get not only into <laughs> coaching, but also back here to Ball State. But uh, it's been fun, and I learned a lot over those years. Now, we talked a little bit off screen and kind of before we got started, because I, I, like, I like I said, I was talking to his, one of his sons the other day, um, how much does the Lynch family 
And really, because, I mean, there's all, – all three sons have been involved in football at some point or another. Dad is obviously a well-respected coach throughout our community, both his time at Ball, at Indiana, at DePaul. Um, how much has the Lynch family in general helped you in terms of growth and what they've meant to where you are now? Tremendously. Uh, I think back to when I was a player, uh, Coach Lynch was uh, the ultimate head coach. His mentality and his focus uh, was always on the team, was always on improvement, was always on getting better. Uh, and the beautiful thing about Coach Lynch, he was always the same guy. And I think we've all worked for coaches that, uh, you know, when things are great, you know, they're great. When things are down, uh, they're a little tough to work for. Uh, Coach Lynch was always even keel, uh, no matter what it was, whether it was after a win, whether it was after a loss. And that resonated with me. Uh, his messages never changed. They were always consistent. Uh, and that was huge, uh, especially uh, as a young player and, and kind of looking up to these guys. Uh, but at the same time, his oldest son, Billy, was a teammate of mine here at Ball State. And Billy was the ultimate competitor. And I, I'll tell you this. All three of his sons would dispute that. They all think they're the <laughs> biggest competitor. And, you know, they've got a little sibling rivalry thing going anyway. But uh, Billy was by far the ultimate competitor. Not only was uh, he a football athlete here, he also was a basketball athlete. He, he played basketball as well. And, uh, you know, for a lot of guys who have to split time playing sports, uh, you tend to think, uh, there's a drop-off competitively once you leave one and come to the other. And you never saw that with Billy. He was always locked in. Uh, he was always the hardest worker. Um, and his competitive drive never stopped, uh, which was impressive to me. Uh, I still remember uh, a game in which, uh, unfortunately, I did not play due to surgery, and we ended up losing that game. And I never remember – never forget what he said to me after that game uh, because – you know, it was one of those situations, had I played, uh, we probably would have been in a position to win. And uh, I'll never forget, when we were coming off the field, he grabbed me, pulled me to the side and said, if you were out here today, we would have won that game. And it stuck with me. Uh, it stuck with me that, uh, you know, even after the game was over, he was still locked into that moment. Um, and I'll never forget that. Uh so their influence with me has been great. I've worked with all of them at different points in my uh, career. As a grad assistant, I got to work hand-in-hand -hand with Kevin Lynch. He was uh, freshly graduated from Franklin College, and he came over and, and was a, a quality control with uh, his dad at Indiana, and we got to work hand-in-hand -hand as, as young offensive coaches there. Uh, and certainly got to work hand-in-hand -hand with Joey as the offensive line coach here at Ball State when he was the offensive coordinator and reunited again with Kevin. Uh, as a grad assistant, I got to work with Billy. He was our wide receivers coach at Indiana. Uh, so it was pretty cool to kind of see everything come full circle. And uh, to be underneath Coach Lynch, not only as a player, but also as a grad assistant and then as a position coach, uh, has really exposed me to the type of man he is uh, and the type of coach that he is. He's probably forgotten more football than I've ever <laughs> you know, dreamed to know. So um, it's really cool to kind of be around that family and kind of experience it in all different angles. Now, when we, we talked the first time on the phone, um, 
we talked a little bit about inside zone and you kind of mentioned that that wasn't originally your, I don't know how I want to phrase this, like primary scheme. And, and you kind of mentioned that when you went to, I believe it was Indiana, you kind of got the, the, the master class and uh, inside zone. What was that transition like, or what was that experience like going from, Oh, I'm not really a zone guy to, I am full into inside zone. What, what kind of altered that? Yeah. Well, it, it takes it goes back to when I was a player here at Ball State, and we certainly ran a lot of zone. Um, and my offensive line coach, and I, I love him to death because when I first came to Ball State, I was moved from guard to defensive tackle, and my position coach was Ted Huber. Uh, he was my position coach my true freshman year, my redshirt freshman year. Going into my redshirt sophomore year, I was moved back to the offensive line, and I was moved to center. Well, at that same time, that spring ball, Coach Huber made the transition from defensive tackles coach to the offensive line coach. So Coach Huber was the only coach I really kind of ever had uh, when I was here. And even though his background was defensive line play, uh, as an offensive line coach, he instilled a lot of toughness, uh, a lot of of the mental aspect of the game. And certainly the scheme was the scheme. You couldn't really, you know, screw up inside zone, but the <laughs> finer points of the blocking uh, was missed on us just because coach Huber was not an offensive line coach by trade. So uh, going into Indiana, I, I kind of had an idea of offensive line play, but the X's and O's and the schemes of it all uh, was lost on me. The only thing I've ever known was, you know, as a player, what we were taught. So, you know, enter Bobby Johnson. And if you don't know, Bobby Johnson is a well-respected uh, offensive line coach. Uh, obviously, is the O-line coach of the Buffalo Bills now. Um, but then he had coached some phenomenal football players in the Mid-American Conference from Jacob Bell at Miami, uh, certainly to Roger Southall at Indiana. Um, so... I got a chance to learn uh, firsthand, as you mentioned, this master class from uh, Coach Johnson. And it really kind of molded me into who I am now. It, it, it's a little bit different, uh, but the nuts and bolts are still the same, in, in which everything starts whether you're covered or uncovered. Uh, uncovered guys uh, are more uh, assisting the guys who are covered at the first level, those uncovered guys are responsible for the second level. All that can change with defensive movement and pressure, <laughs> but uh, it kind of gets you started. Uh, and then from there, uh, how it all changes when you add tight ends to the play or when you're going split zone or when you're reading the backside edge and all those things. So uh, that really kind of uh, was what I learned over those three years. And, it, it, it really shaped uh, me as a as an offensive line coach uh, because now everything starts for me with are you covered or are you uncovered? Uh, whether we're talking gap blocking or zone blocking, outside zone, um, all those things. And, and uh, it's really shaped the way I see the game. Um, I, I kind of had to make it my own. The one thing I try not to be is a clone of those I worked for. Um, I have to make things my own. I have to have something that I believe in as well. Um, and I figured that out, as I mentioned, when I was coaching with uh, Coach Lynch at DePaul for those five years, uh, I had to figure out a lot of things about 
who I was as a coach and the players that I were coaching and our offensive scheme. Uh, so it kind of uh, evolved from what I learned to what we became. And here I am now kind of teaching uh, really what I truly believe in, in terms of the zone scheme and things of that nature. So from what a lot of people learn when I start talking about inside zone blocking, I don't make a lot of line calls. I, I'm not a line call guy, which is what I learned when I was with Bobby. You know, everything started uh, whether you're covered on cover and the uncovered guy made the call. And he kind of based that on the second level leverage. And, you know, I kind of got away from that uh, when I was coaching at DePaul and certainly here at Ball State. Uh, I've continued to believe in that, that process and it's worked for us. Now, why have you made that switch? And every offensive line coach is obviously different on how what they call, how they call it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some preference, there's some footwork technique, and all that lovely stuff. But so when you're when you're, why are you not making as many pre-snap calls as maybe some other teams who? Okay, we know we're going zone right. We're gonna call pre-snap deuce call and work the climb. Obviously, you guys see a lot more movement than we do. Especially in the mm-hmm. MAC, it's it's movement heavy. I've talked to enough MAC coaches to know that every defensive line just stunts and twists about every play on you guys. It's helter skelter, man, out there. Yeah. It's like you, you know, you never know what you're going to get any given play. But to answer that question, uh, my first year at DePaul University, uh, I uh, inherited a line uh, that had a lot of freshmen and sophomores on it. Uh, talented players, but they just weren't very experienced. And, uh, you know, let Coach Lynch tell you, you know, we weren't a very good football team, uh, especially for the league that we were playing in. And, uh, you know, you're an Ohio guy. We played, you know, we were in the same conference as Wittenberg, which is, you know, one of the all-time winningest programs in D3 history. Uh, Wabash College here in Indiana had a phenomenal run and still does uh, of winning seasons. Uh, and then you throw in the mix of, you know, Ohio Wesleyan and Worcester and Hiram and Kenyon and, and all these good uh, Division three programs. Uh, you know, we weren't a very good program and, and we were kind of outmatched going against a lot of those schools. Uh, so the first thing was first, we got lucky and we talked in, we talked a, a pretty phenomenal Division three basketball player uh at DePaul <laughs> to come out his last year and play football he was a six five uh you know 200 pound 220 pound wide receiver uh and you know he was really the end-all be-all of our offense uh we, we had a few good tight ends uh really we had three uh really good tight ends that uh we could use within the run game in different capacities uh so we wanted to make sure that one, we were going to have that really good receiver on the field. We were going to extend the line, and we were going to make defenses cover gaps. And then our biggest focus was how can we slow the game down as much as we can? I mean, Coach Lynch used to always say, we're going to set football back 50 years and, and uh, use all this play clock. So, you know, that was that was kind of our thought process going in, just to give ourselves a chance to win until, you know, we can – continue to build the program through recruiting and certainly those young players could get older. Uh, so my first year, we were doing all this. We we're slowing the game down. You know, we we're going from the huddle, getting to the line. We were making all the, I mean, we were Indiana university. We were making all those line calls 
and everything that I learned. Um, and certainly when we got the junk fronts, it was an auto call that, hey, we were going to full zone everything and collect it as it came. Well, as we moved into the next season, uh, I think college football, the influence of everything that was going on around the college football landscape, certainly with what was going on down at Baylor and other places, the no huddle offense was kind of reigning supreme. Uh, we have recruited a very talented quarterback who I think we knew early on was going to be our quarterback of the future. And by that point, he was given the reins of the team. And in order for him to really grow, we had to make sure the offense was dynamic enough for him to grow within. So we, we made the decision that we were going to move towards this no huddle offense, this no huddle tempo, and try to get the ball snapped uh, as fast as we can and, and put defenses in conflict and let the quarterback, you know, really kind of handle the scheme. Well, when you're doing that, it doesn't really bode well with offensive line guys getting to the line of scrimmage, waiting to see where the defense lined up and, you know, <laughs> making your calls. And so there was plenty of times where uh, I think Coach Lynch was yelling at the guys, get up, get set, you know, snap the, those type of things. And uh, so I had to change the way I coached those guys. Uh, and, you know, if the offense was going to grow, I had to grow. Um, so my focus went away from second level, making calls and those things to really focusing on playing with our feet and playing with our eyes. Uh, you know, because in, in essence, you can make those same combos on the fly, uh, just as you would if you were calling them out. Uh, because in reality, even if you call out a combo and the defense moves, that combo's typically off. You yeah. know, you're, you're, you're blocking uh, what the defense is giving you. So I kind of took that approach in the way I coached those guys and that kind of grew into what we do now. There's no reason for me to come to the line of scrimmage and make a line call for my uncovered guys. You just have to understand what can beat you the quickest. Uh, you got to make sure your eyes are there based on the structure of the defense. So now we do a lot of uh, structural coaching uh, based on what the defense gives you understanding the structure and where pressure can come from and where movements can come from uh, and getting those guys to play really good with their eyes with really fast feet and be prepared to collect things as they come. Um, and it's been good. Uh, and I don't think I'll ever coach it any other way unless the head coach was, you know, <laughs> you know, pounding the table that I have to do that. But so far I've worked for, I worked for great coaches. I was allowed to, you know, coach it my way when I went to ball, uh, when I went, to Butler again and coach the offensive line. Uh, and, and then I was able to do it, you know, the same thing when I came here to Ball State. And to be honest with you, it, it, there's been times where, you know, especially when I interviewed here at Ball State, I wanted this job so bad. Obviously, it was my alma mater. And uh, I remember going into it, and you know, I was talking to my wife. I was kind of conflicted. When I go to this interview, do I, do I teach everything the way I do it my way? or do I try to teach it the way I think they want to hear it? Uh, and certainly I knew a lot of guys in this room when I came to interview. Uh, Joey Lynch was the offense coordinator. Kevin Lynch was a running back coach. Uh, Pat Doherty was the tight ends coach. And uh, Alex Bailey was a receivers coach. So all these guys I, I've met before and I, I kind of knew them. So I was comfortable, but at the same time, I didn't know what they were used to as an offensive line coach. And uh, I remember saying that to my wife, and she said, well, 
if you go in there and try to teach somebody else's way, it's not going to be yours and they're going to know it. <clears throat> yep. So I, I, I swallowed my, you know, swallowed it down, went into the room and, and, you know, I pounded the table that, Hey, this is how I do it. I know it's not, um, you know, uh, typical, but I've had success. And quite honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why I got the job. I think coach knew was, so impressed with the simplicity of it and you know he knew that we had some guys that were younger players that could grow within that simplicity and he could see the benefit to me being their coach and uh so i'm glad that turning point i'm glad i decided to come in there and pound the table and, and do yeah. it my way because that's one of the things when young coaches interview they they really may not have a conviction in terms of what they like to do um but if it is what you believe in Go pound the table for it. Sometimes it may not work out in your favor, uh, but you know more often than not, I think you'll be uh, more knowledgeable in terms of what you like to do rather than what somebody else likes to do. Okay. Now, how do you now? And we talked about some drills. How do how do you drill that? How do where do you start? That's that's my like because obviously I I am. I have, I, for some reason, I've developed a reputation as a wing T guy, even though I'm not a hardcore wing T guy. Um, mostly because I've had a lot of wing T people on here, blah, blah, blah. But um, for somebody who, like me, is not, has been a gap, gap scheme guy most of his career, I'll phrase it this way. I'll, that's how I'll phrase it. How, where do you start with inside zone? Like, that, that's, that's always my question with people is, okay. Uh, inside, there, I mean, there's 18,000 ways you can block inside zone. We, we are right. all aware. I mean, the, the base level, I mean, the really simple middle school, high school level is step right, somebody's in your gap, block them. If not, help and climb. I mean, that's, right. that is that is inside zone, like, kindergarten level. Okay. Sure. Good. But where do you start teaching your college offensive linemen? How do you start that process? Is there any drills that, like, I have to start with? How's that process work for you? Well, for me, uh, everything starts on the boards. Uh, and as you look through my drill tape, I've got a million clips of boards. Now, part of that is because of the timing in which we do it and when the offensive line gets the video camera, you know, for our drills. So uh, most of that is right towards the beginning of the individual, and that's where I always do uh, my board drills. Uh, my everyday drills really don't change uh, until we start talking about, you know, specific opponents. But every day we're on the boards. And I use the boards uh, to drill footwork, but also to train eyes. Uh, because as long as we're on the boards, I can stand in one area and watch the guy's eyes. Uh, certainly I don't do that all the time. Uh, as we have started to develop great habits, I can now focus my attention elsewhere, like the footwork, their hand placement, their pad levels, those type of things. But uh, it's the boards. Uh, and I try to manipulate uh, the board angle and putting defenders in certain areas to, you know, kind of simulate specific blocks. Um, but from there, we can train, hey, when you're uncovered and what I call a stitch. Uh, if you look at it this way, and I, I, a lot of what I've learned and what I do is not my original, you know, terminology. In fact, I believe I learned stitching from Nick Tabaka, who I, Nick and I played together here at Ball State, and he was the O-line coach at Butler when I was a D-line coach. 
And that was the first time I heard that term, which I think he learned from John Strollo, who coincidentally, John Strollo was the offensive line coach here at Ball State under Pete Limbo. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not too proud to say everything I get, I borrowed from yeah. somebody else. Obviously, this game's been around a lot longer than I have, and it's going to continue to be around. Um, but anytime you learn something that the light bulb pops off, uh, it's certainly that moment where you need to jot that down and, and find some way to incorporate it into your uh, vernacular. And stitching was one of those terms. Um, to me, anytime you stitch something, a piece of clothing, you're bringing two pieces of cloth together, yeah. right? So in our terminology, when we stitch, we bring two gaps together. In other words, we close that gap with our bodies. Uh, so typically, if you're an uncovered lineman and you have no one in your gap, you're going to slow, speed your feet up, slow your body down, and you're going to close that backside gap uh, where typically your backside adjacent lineman is probably covered. He's probably blocking a down guy. Uh, so if we close that gap, we create a double team or at least uh, negate penetration. Uh, and, and then if on the flip side of that, tearing, if there's a defender in your gap and you're solo and you, you know, you're on your own, uh, there's two ways you can kind of manipulate a defense, right? You can either uh, get lateral movement or horizontal movement. And a lot of times defenders are trying to maintain a gap so why not keep them in that gap, but elongate the gap behind you? And that's what we call tearing. When we try to uh, increase gaps by move displacing defenders laterally along the line of scrimmage. Uh, so that's kind of where my focus starts, you know, perfecting stitching and tearing. Um, and that's what we try to simulate when we're on the boards every single day. Um, it, it's, it's like you said, it's pretty remedial when you break it down. But for me, we block guys with our feet. And I'm a big believer in footwork and moving your feet uh, and getting in position to handle defenders. So we try to drill that as much as we can. And I think the boards is the best way to do that. Uh, once you transition off of the boards, um, you got to be able to block looks. And when you're talking about drilling um, uh, inside zone play, combo drills and things of that nature is by far the most beneficial. Uh, we do it on our own. We do it with our, uh, our defensive teammates and what we call pods yeah. in which we're just working, you know, zone combos and things of that nature. But, you know, trying to be able to do that as much as we can uh, to get a true realistic viewpoint of what we're going to see every single day. Okay. Now when you talk hands, how, how do you teach hand placement? Cause I think, cause I, I mean, Hand, hands, I think, are the bane of existence of any high school coach. I think mm -hmm. <laughs> whether you're talking O-line or D-line, it is the one of the hardest things to teach. Um, so, or, or maybe it's specifics that get lost for a variety of reasons. Um, mm -hmm. How do you teach hand placement a, as you go? Um, hand placement for me is, is all ties into the fit. Uh, you know, when you talk technique and you talk about the run fit, um, that's where hand placement comes into play. And, and, you know, going back to my time with Bobby, his big thing was you rip your hands from the ground. Uh, and if you rip your hands, it's, it's almost like that uppercut motion, which a lot of coaches will call 
the double under and, you know, you're striking on the rise. But Bobby was really, you know, he, he kind of taught specifically, hey, rip your hands from the ground. Uh, you know, I, I try not to overcoach the hands. Uh, I really do because I think the most important thing is, is the footwork. Um, because a lot of times, especially when you're coaching young players, if you spend a lot of focus on the hands, the first thing they're going to want to do is get their hands to the block. Uh, and I think it's really important that we get our feet to the block before we bring our hands. Uh, but in order to do that, you got to get your feet in the ground as fast as you can, right? So there's a timing to it all of getting that first step in the ground, not overstepping, not lunging, just getting that first step in the ground. And especially when you're talking inside zone, oftentimes uh, that first step is negligible. It is probably going nowhere. Uh, oftentimes I teach guys to, you know, step in the bucket. Uh, just so they can open their hips to get their eyes to the front side and buy yourself space. So uh, that first step is everything. And then your second step is you're coming to contact. You want to rip your hands with that second step. But I'm, all I'm looking for is inside leverage, right? Uh, coach I uh, coached for at the College of Worcester, Mike Schmidt, he was our head coach there, and he was an old O-line coach. And he used to always talk about vertical leverage, which is your pad level, getting your hat underneath their hat, and then horizontal leverage. And his definition of horizontal leverage was hands inside, uh, not having your hands outside the frame of a defender. So uh, that's really what I focus on when I start talking about hand placement. Uh, I know some coaches are one hand to – this point, other hand, that point. And I, I try not to overcoach that. I want to block what defenders give me. I'm going to block the surface. Uh, I sometimes get specific in terms of if I'm uncovered and I'm assisting, you know, I want to try to bang a hip to try to deliver a defender and those type of things. But when you're truly talking one-on-one zone blocking and you're covered, uh, I just talk about inside leverage with my hands. I want to get inside underneath my fit, uh, and from there, let the footwork take over. Okay. This is what we call working a stitch, all right? So what I typically do when we're on the boards and we're talking uh, inside zone, uh, if we're going vertical, we're uncovered, the board will be completely uh, vertical, and we're lined up on either side of it. So in this particular clip, we're running an inside zone play to our right, okay? Uh, which we're going to line up on the side of the board. I have the offensive lineman step to clear the board. Okay. Now, the re only reason I do that is to steal a rep of tight feet. All right. Clearing over the board, uh, making sure they're loading their weight on their opposite leg and stepping uh, and driving to get their foot about six inches off the ground to clear the board and then quickly get it in the ground. When you start talking actual play, you know, a lot of times when you're stitching, you're not stepping anywhere. You're not going anywhere in a certain direction. Your foot's going up and down, yeah. you're checking your play side gap, but you're certainly uh, not trying to lose leverage on the backside defender. All right. As you watch, I should go front side, right? So yeah. if you watch the right tackle here, you can definitely see his helmet transitions to a play side viewpoint he's checking for a defender coming into his gap uh so we want to see that i know you don't see it on all these guys but you can definitely see it here on the left guard 
uh, left tackle, maybe bags kind of uh, blocking his view. But from there, remember, they're uncovered. So their main responsibility is the second level. So once they check their gap, nothing's there. Their second step is directly upfield, all right, transitioning them from the first level to the second. The defender here is head up on them as they're on the left side of the board. The defender is head up in their face holding a hand shield, all right? So this signifies a backside alignment defender. So as we get ourselves over the board and we start to work vertical, we're now playing through the that front side half of that defender who's being blocked by our backside adjacent lineman. So let's put it in simplest terms. If this center is truly with the head up defender, there's a guard on his backside who's covered, who's going to come to block this guy. So in this particular picture, this zone combo takes place because the guard is here in transition. Is, Correct. So is, basically, basically what we're doing here is everybody's working the technique of, of being on the front side uncovered, okay? So when we're front side uncovered, we're thinking we're stitching. And, and so this is the way we drill it. Um, Want to make sure we get our eyes front side, all right? Because if we, even if we're uncovered on the snap of the football, our gap could immediately become occupied. And we got to be prepared to transition from being uncovered to covered. But... Uh, that gap stays open, first step's in the ground fast as we can, second step we want to transition through and assist our backside covered lineman, and that's where we create our zone combo, right, uh, of yeah. pressing vertical uh, to the second level. So we'll do that, and, and typically everybody gets an opportunity, right, to work it, uh, eyes, feet, and then on the with the body portion, Right, I've gone a lot of different ways. Certainly here, everybody's working what's called a flipper. You know what I mean? And I've done it where you know, coach was Coach Moriarty there at Indiana for my last year. He really kind of taught uh, a arm swing instead of a, a flipper. Bobby coached the flipper. Uh, a lot of guys, and including myself, have gotten to you know using hands when you're uncovered there to help. Uh, that defender but however you want to coach it uh i don't think there's a right or wrong way like i mentioned i've kind of transitioned to especially for certain looks if these guys want to use one hand or sometimes even go two hands in on the combo i'm okay with that if you go two hands in however you got to be prepared to get a hand out when it's time to transition to the second level but it's all how you want to coach it and what you truly believe in. But here early on in camp, uh, we were focusing on obviously the flipper technique here. All right. So as we transition through, those are the young guys. Obviously, they're not going to look as great, uh, say, as the older guys uh, going through this. But as I mentioned, this is all one clip, uh, one of the practice clips. So I'm going to fast forward here. Here they are going to their left now. All right, so now we're, same thing, we're uncovered. Uh, defenders going to line up on their face, okay? And really the, the coaching point here, in which I was talking to those guys, is you want to make sure as your second step goes upfield, you want to step vertical, okay? It, it doesn't help you to step off your mark because then you end up too far on your point. And prime example here, right tackle there at the top. All right, you watch 62, 
he gets his fir first step in the ground, but as he brings his second step through, notice how he almost comes back underneath himself, mm -hmm. right? That's what we want to avoid because now you're avoiding the block, all right? You're not really playing through the block, which is what you want to do, okay? So if this was a true combo and he had a backside lineman working with him, he's really missing half this man. Yeah. He's putting this, all the work on the backside guy. As he goes away, this guy's helmet's going to surface through the gap and he's going to be able to create penetration, right? So that's exactly what I was talking about, trying to make sure as we step through our second step, goes clearly vertical upfield. 72 here, the center does a really good job, not only of pad level, but also getting that second step back vertical, boom, playing through the defender. And as we go through, some guys call it a gallop, uh, or however you want to call it, I just call it climbing, okay? Their footwork, you're always going to lag your front side leg behind, and you're going to press through with your post leg, all right? That's the climb that you want to use as you're going through and pressing through uh, that defender. So that way, basically what this does is it ensures that you're playing with power, all right, as you help your defender. But then also, eventually, as you have to come off of this block, now you can transition off of this block with your post leg high. Okay, We never want to transition our post and end up with our right foot in front because now our hips turn back inside. Now we got to flip our hips back around just to come off of this center. So we want to practice climbing through with our post leg high as we press through it, all right? So that's what we do uh, as we work through the front side of this thing. I'm going to skip ahead here. Okay. All right, so now here we are, a different day, working the same drills. You can see here at the top, that's stitch right. Uh, here we are, stitch left with the older group. It's the same drill as we're doing before, right? working with the hand shield, fast feet, using our our, our, uh, our flipper to try to create that surface. We want to try to create as much of a surface with our body as we possibly can to get thick on the defender, okay? The next part of it is now we're covered, okay? So when we're covered, we manipulate the board where we tilt it slightly, all right, where it's angle at the defender, all right? Now the defender goes from being head up on my face to covering up the board, all right? So the focus here, okay, is that there's a defender in our gap. We're no longer assisting backside. We are now focused on blocking the defender that is in our gap, all right? Now, for the front side of the line, it's going to be different than the back side of the line, okay? For me, inside zone, I've had enough horror stories where uh, when you talk about aim point, putting a front side lineman on a play side number aim point, we've got enough horror stories where we get into a pretty good fit and we got cover on this guy. And if the ball declares, this defender kind of throws us to the side, hangs his head inside, and he makes a tackle just by having his body in the gap. Um, so that whole thing, deal has caused me to change my front side aim point with my guys. So what I teach in inside zone, everything has an aim point. On the front side, we want to be inside number conscious, all right? In other words, we want to stay inside out on defenders. Uh, so when we do these board drills, I expect their helmet to reflect that, to show that if I'm going to stay inside, I want to 
air to having my helmet on the inside portion of this pad to maintain inside leverage. On the back side, okay, on the back side of the inside zone, we want to try to create more of a dent on the defensive line and into the defense. We want to try to get more vertical push if we can. So our focus now on the back side is a play side number aim point. So I want to get my helmet to his play side. Okay. If I can get my helmet play side, great. I'm going to press my belly through and try to get vertical push on this defender. If I can't get my helmet play side, that's okay. All right. If I can't get my helmet play side, I've tried the defenders hugging my play side lineman just too tight. I can't get my helmet across. Now we transition to driving the defender down the line. In other words, tearing. Okay. So that's kind of the main focus here. On the back side, we want to get our helmet across. On the front side, we want our helmet to stay inside yeah. out. Okay. So as we do this, again, we want to focus on first step in the ground as fast as we can. All right. We're still clearing the board. All right. Working tight feet. But I want to get that first step in the ground as quick as I can. And then I bring our second step in our hands immediately thereafter. All right. And you can see as we get into this fit, I think probably a little bit play side number conscious, definitely play side uh, inside number conscious. Centers I don't over harp about because they are the guy right over the ball. Uh, if they can get inside and tear, great. If they get play side, I'm never going to overcoach the center. Backside, definitely play side number conscious. And certainly here on the backside, uh, I think he starts off kind of more head up uh, than what we want but does a good job of running his feet. Now, I never want to create separation. So when you start talking about hand placement and all that uh, up front, I never want to create separation. I'm a big believer in that's doing the defender's job for them. All right. Defense alignment want to maintain gaps. They want to, they got to create separation in order to maintain that gap. Uh, they also have to find the football because eventually they got to disengage and make tackles. In the run game, they're all about playing long. In the run game, we have to shift focus. We got to think about playing short. And we want to get into bodies and put pressure on that defender to try to create that length. All right, so I never want to do his job for him and press him off of my body. All right, it makes it easier for him to play longer. Yeah. Now, do do like head up, like zero techniques or, I don't know, twos or fours cause any changes or complications for any of this um no you have to change the way you look at it anytime you have a head up defender we treat that guy as he is the backside guy's okay. covered player so as a front side player i'm uncovered but that guy's on my body yeah so i never i can never be too fast to leave him all right He's not my guy necessarily, but there's a good chance he could become my guy if my backside buddy declares him that way. And that's the terminology that we use is declaring. Um, prime example, if we're working inside zone and there's a head up nose on my center, uh, so now our point linebacker is play side and my center and my left guard are working to the point through that yeah. head up nose. 
Um, there's a good chance that the center tries to avoid that nose man to get to the point. Then that nose man is going to occupy two blockers and that point man is going to be unblocked. So the first thing we want to take care of is the downline first. Center's not going to very go, not going to go anywhere. He's going to take his first step, second step, and he's going to get hands on that nose man. If that nose man wants to play backside, in other words, he slants away from the center, then the center will naturally transition to a stitch and begin to climb yeah. to that playside backer. My guard, on the other hand, will work to that nose man, and he may not get his helmet across. That's fine. He'll end up tearing him down the line, elongating the backside B gap. If that nose man wants to be annoying and stay put and ride the center, then as the guard comes to play that nose man, that's where we call, we, we, the terminology we use is declare it. That's where we want to bang his hip. All right, We never want to bang shoulder pads because easily they can sink their hip into the gap. Defenders are taught to control gas by sinking their hip into it. So before he gets an opportunity to sink his hip, you want to bang his hip. And bodies are obviously going to go where the hip goes. So if we get both hands and place it on his hip and play through that hip, we're going to move that body into the A-gap. The center can then take it over and tear him away. And now our guard is free to climb to that point linebacker. Oh, yeah. uh, so that's how we handle it. And that's whether, you know, that's whether it's a head-up uh, uh, nose man on the center or what you see a lot of times in those oaky fronts, a head-up four technique on the tackle. That tackling guard are going to treat that combo the same way. Uh, oftentimes, you know, the guard ends up banging the four-eye out to the tackle. The tackle takes it, and then the guard ends up climbing for a fold player or yeah. another defender out in the alley who's, you know, taught the fold back into the D-gap. Um, so we treat those blocks very similarly. The only time we won't is if there's a four-eye and then a stand-up outside rusher. So then I'll teach my tackle to vertical set it, right? And that's where you can kind of play with the inside zone play a little bit where we're not always just firing off the ball or whatever. You know, you also have to play the leverage in terms of where you can get beat the quickest. And what you see so much now is that B, C gap defender twist where now that three technique or that head up four eye, whatever you want to call them, that four technique, four eye, he wants to play the B gap and then that outside player folds into the A gap, uh, occupying all three of those blockers. Uh, you know, I, I could still see clear as day, Ohio State playing Penn State a few years ago and uh, Chase Young made a play at the end of the game against Penn State to secure a victory for Ohio State off that same twist. And, and it's all because that right tackle took himself off his landmark. So now, you know, a lot of what coaches are teaching is who cares if we pass at this thing? Our main focus is to keep those guys outside, right? So a lot of times you'll teach your tackle to get off the ball, pass set it, ensure that that B-gap guy who wants to try to penetrate you can be absorbed and taken outside, and that frees your guard up to work for any twister uh, coming from the outside in. So... Uh, a lot of ways you can manipulate the inside zone play that way. A lot of that is not day one stuff, that yeah. game plan stuff, but uh, certainly the way we handle a lot of those looks. Okay. Um, 
But again, back to, you know, what we're teaching here, and these are some of our younger players, you know, trying to focus on hand placement and and, and hat placement. Uh, again, focusing on the fit, right? As you can see, there's really no particular where is this hand going, right hands here, left hands there. No, I'm trying to get inside leverage with my hands and then let my helmet dictate uh, where we're getting to on the body here. Here we are working to our left. All right, so now same thing. Front side, the left side here now should stick with the inside number aim point. Back side, wanted to get their helmet to a play side number aim point. So really good picture here of our right tackle. You can see how his helmet is weighted more towards that front side. That's where his eyes are. He's focusing on getting himself to that play side number. Um, here on the front side, we want to stay on that inside number because eventually if this guy wants to play his front side gap, he'll get himself there. And now our job is to keep him outside because the really rare, we don't want this ball typically on the inside zone play to bounce outside, yeah. right? It can get outside if the, de if the defense lets it get outside. That's their problem. But up front, uh, we want to make sure this ball stays inside the backside, right? Ideally, we love for the ball to roll right through that front side A gap every single time, that A, B gap double. Um, but the defense is obviously going to take that away. So uh, we're going to focus on manipulating them whether or not. One thing you want to avoid when we're doing this is long, lunging, slow steps, right? So my left tackle here, you can see how he steps way across the board. He elongates himself. A lot of that starts with uh, narrowing your base and your stance and all that, uh, and being able to load your weight and get your foot up and down quickly. But we want to keep a tight foot over this board. Don't have to step high at all. It's a very flat board. Just clear it, get it up and down. Um, so that way we're talking efficiency, right? Always yeah. focusing on that as well. But again, this is this is what we do every day. Um, after we do inside zone, we transition to gap. And I mentioned to you that I coach the gap play, uh, power, counter, all those things very similar to inside zone. It all starts if I'm covered or uncovered, right? In my mind, uh, the front side, guard, tackle, center combination, they're all blocking inside zone, uh, except the big difference is their aim point is now opposite. Whereas uh, on the back side of that thing, we typically want to be on a play side number, getting our helmet across. Now because the ball's coming this way, I'm sorry, I should work it this way. This We're going gap right here, okay? Now I want to keep my helmet same thing on the play side. I guess I was right the first time. Ball's coming this way. So if we're running, say, counter, that guard's pulling, we want to keep ourselves on the play side number, which in this case is this five, this seven, okay, and this four. We want to block down on the defender, okay? So we don't want our helmet to get across because the ball's coming this way. We yeah. throw our helmet across his body work across our face so our aim point is closer to our body so therefore our footwork has to be tighter all right so instead of putting ourselves on the side of the board we now back up and put our toe 
on the tip of the board. So now when we clear this thing it is really up and down, just slightly passing the board, right? So we don't have to step very far at all because we're going to maintain leverage on this defender. All right, we've already got great leverage. He's inside of us. I'm going to stay on that same leverage and play that play side number. Okay, so that's that's kind of the, the difference there between inside zone and, and uh, gap plays for us. But other than that, uh, we're still treating it like we're covered, uncovered. Just the ball coming forth at this time. Okay. Questions on any of that? No, no, sir. That that's really good. Um. Outside zone, we drill outside zone with the boards. This time, we just I just tell them, hey, kick it to kind of a lateral almost with a little bit of an angle. But really what we do, you know, we're still working off of cover and uncover, but we get the defenders out of there, and we just want to work on what we call reaching and running. So our first step is stepping over the board. We're opening ourselves up, all right, getting our hips to the defender. And then our second step is down the board. So we're truly running. Our technique is a three-step read if we're uncovered. So on our third step, we want to start working vertical to our second level. Okay. If we are covered, okay, if we are covered, then we're getting ourselves to a place side armpit aim point and working ourselves back to vertical, trying to press our bellies upfield through that arm, that aim point. If we can't get ourselves to the aim point, we're going to run the defender to the sideline. Yeah. Um, the one difference is on the front side, we keep the the board a little more shallow for the tackles, where it's pointing up field, just to simulate uh, you're the edge. And if we're running a short side outside zone play, uh, we want to take a more flat angle departure. In other words, we're going to work to cover up that defender. All right and keep him square on the line of scrimmage as we press. If he jumps outside, we'll transition it outside. If he crosses our face, now we're pressing through that in, that outside shoulder, all right, and helping our adjacent lineman who's coming to it. Uh, but that's only for tackles on the front side of the thing. Certainly as we get going and start doing, you know, padded practices, we'll work the backside in which we always want to cut down the backside of it what we call a reach, run, and cut. Okay. That's our outside zone sort of board work that we do. And you're going to keep saying this over and over. Obviously, when we get uh, the upper pads on, we get the hand shields out of there, and we work uh, working these same techniques with just bodies. Um, uh, you know, the way we train blocking linebackers uh, is really a transition from uh, climbing to treating that guy as a defender on the front, on the first level. But what we call it is a back pad block. And the reason it's called a back pad is because you want to get your hand, all right, on the back side of this pad. I want to try to get my helmet across his body, but I want to use his momentum against him. If this is a linebacker flowing downhill. If I can get my helmet on the, my hand on his back pad, now I can kind of usher him to where he wants to go. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we do climbing to the second level. So this drill kind of simulates that 
the defender, same thing, is lined up head up on a lineman on the snap of the ball. The lineman's going to start to climb up their board just like they're stitching with no defender, getting themselves back to square. You see my center's a little hasty, right? He doesn't necessarily <laughs> transition with his weight get his post leg up field so he kind of comes out lunging yeah he's kind of leaning into it i don't want that i want to have his hips underneath him uh the best that he can be so that way when he makes contact he can drive through with his hips pretty good by the left guard pretty good by the right tackle but landing that hand on the back pad and now driving that linebacker away from the ankle when you start to get lungy right it's hard for you to get yourself on that back pad. What typically happens, these guys who are better athletes than our line will then use your weight against you, play off your backside, all those things, and uh, typically can make you look pretty silly from an athleticism standpoint. So we want to try to keep ourselves hips underneath us best we can as we go to strike and make contact there at the second level. But the whole way through playing with fast feet, uh, you never want to. This is another thing I take I take from uh, Coach Tabaka and, and John Strollo. You never want to puncture the second level. Okay, yeah. it, it, we all know that linebackers are creatures of habit, and they have reads just like anybody else on defense does. So the back is going to tell them everything they need to know in terms of where they're going, right? So they're going to try to meet this back at the line of scrimmage. Therefore, for us to complete this block, we don't have to get to the second level and meet this guy where athleticism is king. You know, he's got a lot of space at the second level. He's got a lot of space to work against us. Therefore, you want to get this guy in a phone booth. All right, you want him to come down to where we play where there's less space to play between the gaps, and now he has to play his gap, right? Gaps down defenses, this linebacker is going to come downhill and play the gap that he's responsible for. If we get to the second level too fast, he can easily play back a gap and still be an athlete to make it to the ball carrier. So we want this guy to come down to our phone booth, right? So that's why we play fast feet, uh, we want to slow our body down, get as many steps in the ground as we continue to climb, and hopefully as this guy makes his way downhill, we meet him still at the line of scrimmage where we can now dictate uh, where he's going to go and the ball can declare. It takes a patient runner to understand that. Oftentimes you get guys that want to just hit the hole. Uh, they'll get to the line of scrimmage way too soon, and it's not great. Um, so it takes a patient runner to run behind a line that is patiently allowing those linebackers to come downhill to you. Uh, but I think when you find that good combination, you get a chance for a lot of good, big, a lot of big plays in the run game. Yeah. Okay. Now, I was wondering, I was wondering how you were teaching them in the second level, and that's I, I really like this, coach. So. And, and it's it's key that, you know. When we work this, the linebackers understand they got to flow because we're going to block guys in the area that we find them. Uh, for instance, if this linebacker was to disappear, 71 here on 57, 
if he's a disappear backside, 57 is not going to chase him, right? Yeah. It's the, he might be the point linebacker. He might be the guy that starts off in the area on the second level to where he's working. But if he disappears away from his area, he's not going to chase him. He's going to keep his eyes in his gap. He's going to transition his stitch. He's going to keep playing fast feet until something does show yeah. in this gap. It may never show. Right. And if it doesn't show, he'll keep prying on this backside leverage uh, down guy to elongate this gap because his tackle is now expanding. And now the ball has a chance to hit front side through there. Um, so it's, un- it's, it's good teaching for young players to understand, hey, it, 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 you almost it's a green light, red light type of scenario. If there's someone there, keep playing with fast feet. Let him come to you. If he disappears. Now lean heavy on the guy backside and let's really elongate that gap that's there and keep our eyes open. Because on defense, they're all birds, right? We teach guys to, you know, block linebackers. But based on the defensive structure, that safety, that corner, may be the new B-gap threat based on the pressure or the way they're fitting it. And we got to have, you know, the right frame of mind to have our eyes in our gap so that that safety does show up that's who our new threat is as our point and we got to run off feet and go take that block on so okay that's perfect coach like i said that's i think think that's a good way to introduce inside inside zone fundamentals to our coaches that listen to this is just here's the initial steps for uncovered covered and then uh, how to fit up to a linebacker. I think that I think those are all three great drills that could help our coaches. So sure. Like I said, I, I, I really appreciate it, Coach. Um, Absolutely. Trying to think if there's anything else before we start wrapping up. Um, I'm an open book, man. If uh, <laughs> you know, like I said, there's a lot of there's a lot of drills in here, and a lot of these things, like I said, I I, I didn't get I didn't come up with them on my own. Yeah. Uh, they're all things that I've kind of developed, like cliffhangers. I learned this from working in Northwestern camp uh, and, you know, basically it's teaching guys to get their feet in the ground uh, as quick as they can. So basically they're in a shoot, they're leaning forward on the, on the set hit. And as they lean, as their body weight goes through, they want to lean all the way to the tipping point that they feel like they're going to fall on their face. And at that point they bring their feet in their hands boom, to get in the ground and run their hips through. Um, you can see the guy here on the left does a great job of it, getting his foot in the ground. Center kind of brings his hands first without his, his first step. But the whole idea is to feel hands and feet at the same time. And uh, I thought it was a really good drill, so I started incorporating it uh, with my guys. And, and you know, the more we do it, you know, the better at it we get. Um, so it's been, you know, it's one of those drills that I'm always going to keep using. And the first time you start doing drills, right, they aren't always what you want them to look like. <laughs> yes. And the, the more you do it, all right, it, it, it ends up becoming um, pretty good. For instance, in 2019, uh, we started doing um, what's called a pressure weave. And pressure weave is a pass pro drill that I learned from Bobby Johnson when I was at Indiana. And the first time, you know, we did pressure weave, it wasn't great because it's a drill that the defender's got to be 
uh, in sync with the offensive guy, and he's got to you know be a good teammate that way um, to make it look good and really feel what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah. And the more we do it, and the more we did it, uh, the better at it we got. So that when you get to you know the later, and this is all from the spring, but when you get to the later points of pressure weave. It's pretty good, and I probably don't have a lot of it on tape here, but certainly this is that same spring, and 79 looks so much better. You can see how yeah. he changes weight with every direction that he goes and fighting pressure with pressure. It's almost so, like a day, Coach. You know, it's one of those things that you, you get, like, don't be afraid to fit the drill to what you're doing. And even if it doesn't look great the first time you do it, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And the guys will get better at it. Yeah. I think that's perfect. And I think that's, that's a great way to end here, Coach. Um, awesome. So, like I said, all you got to do is sit there, Coach, while I do this little wrap-up. Um, uh, coaches, um, that that was another episode of the Gap Downbacker Podcast. With Coach Johnson here. Uh, Coach Johnson, uh, Twitter and stuff will be in the bio along with um, how to support the channel uh, through the Patreon and other stuff, and then how to um, kind of follow Coach and contact Coach if you need to contact Coach. Um, if you want to go back to any point of this video um, or the audio, if you're listening to the audio only, uh, the tags will be in the bio as normal, so just click on what you want to re-listen to. Um, it will be there for you as well. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe. Uh, share so other coaches can find this, all that lovely jazz, so this so people can find Coach Johnson in this conversation. Um, thank you for listening, and that was another episode of the Gap Downbacker Podcast.